0: You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702, the car feature with Nicole Lowe. It's time for the car feature. Not only are we talking about why modern cars look so similar, you also get an opportunity to call Nicole, call us and speak to Nicole and ask him any of the technical car questions that you may have for your vehicle. Include as much information as possible. Possible O double one double eight three oh seven oh two and the WhatsApp line O seven two seven oh two one seven oh two. 1702 Nickel Lowe, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well in yourself here,
0: but I am good, I am good. And as I saw the topic that we're gonna be having today about modern cars looking the same, I was like, I actually noticed, especially the ones that started, you know, where the new model is coming out with you know there's a new Porsche Cayenne, there's a new Renault Duster, there's a new this, and they all sort of seem to be following similar shapes.
1: That's correct. I wonder if with all these modern like crossover slash SUVs, if we take the badges off and we park them next to each other, <laughs> I wonder if the general public will no. be able to tell from the outside which is which.
0: Yeah, I you know which ones confuse to me look so similar. The Audi. Mm. Um, it's the Q8 and the new Porsche. To me, they have yes. the same shape.
1: At least a family. They're part <laughs> of the VW group. Oh, you yes. Can throw, you, can throw, you can throw in the Urus uh, Lamborghini in there as well. Yes. Yeah, so, quickly, we can quickly discuss, just to start off the conversation today, about why modern cars look so similar. I mean, if we think back of the, like, the 1950s, 60s. Especially 60s, you you got like the Jaguar E-type, that beautiful, sleek. Design uh, obviously Jaguar UK uh, European design, and then you go over to America in the 60s, and you got the Mustang, which is just like muscle car, mm. different styling completely. And and today we don't see that anymore. It's like all like merging to one. So a couple of the reasons why that is the case. First of all, um, today there's obviously a lot of uh, CAD computer aided design, and you start the design from the inside out. So first you need to see that you actually get your space for the occupants. you from these modern or these classic cars. If you try to get in and you're a, a normal person, you have to fold yourself double. So the modern cars, at least we all fit in. So that sort of uh, fixes the interior space. Now you have to design around the interior. And there's a whole lot of regulation, legislation that all the designers need to uh, comply with. So to be able to sell a car in certain markets, they call it type approval. You have to meet this rule book. Let's call it a very thick rule book that actually uh, dictates how you're going to design a car. um, And why is that the
0: case? I mean, I'm shocked to hear that because I would wonder, like, why would it have to follow um, um, a specific design? Is it due to safety?
1: Yeah, so safety is one of them. For example, if you look at the car bonnets these days, they're all much higher than they ever were before, and that's for pedestrian protection. So if you hit a pedestrian, they fall double and they hit their heads on the bonnet. So the lower the bonnet... the the more distance there is between the head and the bonnet and also there must be space between the bonnet and the engine underneath so there needs to be sort of a a safety space if you call that. Mm.
0: Um,
1: On the old cars the bonnets could be low it could be like a millimetre above the engine they didn't care about pedestrian protection so today if you want to have a low bonnet you have to have one of these bonnets that can pop up when you're in an accident, uh, to actually reduce the distance to the head of the pedestrian. Um, There's also a the reason why a car has two headlights, one on each side. It's all legislated. Also, the distance that the headlight must be from the ground, the distance the headlight must be from the side of the car. Also, the reason why you have two taillights is legislated. Also, mm. the reason why you have... Uh, Three indicators on each side, one in the front, one in the middle, close to the the front, and one on the back. Um, The one on the side normally have either in the mirror or just underneath the mirror in that sort of location. There's legislation about the wheel arches, how far a wheel arch must go, Um, even the radius of curves. Um, For example, you shouldn't be able to injure yourself walking by a car because there's a sharp edge on it. So all that is legislated. So you can't have extreme designs anymore because uh, you have to meet these design uh, guidelines. And also, um, if you're inside the car, vision angles, to be able to see out of the car, especially to the front, A-pillar position, B-pillar position, um, it's very much, restricted angles that you view out of the car. So we get into a modern car, we take it for granted, you can see the road uh, clearly and you can see uh, everywhere. Climb into an old classic in the 1960s and see if you can see out some of them. Mm. Some of them it's really difficult because they didn't have that legislation. So the problem is that we've got this massive rule book And the designers need to comply with it, with engineering, and that uh, ends up with the designs looking very similar. There's obviously also the thing about fashion trends. So a certain trend will go in a certain year. You can always see cars that were designed in the 80s. They were Mm. bomb-shaped and so on. You you just know it's an 80s design. Um, The other thing is also if you think about there's only a couple of car design houses in the world, mostly in Europe, like in Italy and in France, And most of these designers, they study together and they learn together and they see what each other does. And they get employed by different car companies, but they sort of share their design knowledge with their friends. So it's quite possible that same designs can end up at different companies. So uh, there's there's a bit of conspiracy theory in there as well, but... In short, that's the reason why a lot of modern cars look, unfortunately, very similar.
0: Mm, mm. I got you, and I think you've explained it quite well. The question, though, Nickel, is do you like how the modern cars are looking or you don't like how they're looking?
1: I think, yeah, some of them, they, they actually still do a good job in designing, but I think we lack a bit of the flair that we had in the 50s and the 60s when it comes to car design. And I feel for the modern designers that need to stick to this massive rule book. so i think it's constraining them as well in their design flair but it's actually when you see a modern car now with a nice design we really need to applaud the design team of that manufacturer because it's not easy
0: oh i got you there nickel is available to take your calls 11 double one double eight three oh seven oh two, and the whatsapp line 72 702. The Car Feature with Nicole Lowe. Nicole Lowe is with us for the Car Feature. 11 w 702 in the WhatsApp line. 0727021702. What are the technical car questions that you have for Nicole, who is with us today? Let's go to Mike in Sun City. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Mike okay we don't have mike all right let's look at the whatsapps so nico we've got a question that says what do you think of the cherry pro 8 suv especially moving from a 2013 vw Beetle 1.4 tsi to the cherry
1: so yeah i think the chinese are making headway especially when it comes to design uh, i think the The early Chinese cars we all laughed at, and we pointed fingers and said, no, we're not going to go there. And now we look today at the new Cherries, the new uh, Havals, and they definitely got the styling right. Um, The styling looks modern, it looks European. I actually think they actually grabbed a lot of European uh, designers as well to help them out. Um, what we still need to see is the, the technical underbolt of these vehicles um, to see if they can now compare with the rest of the world. So from from a technical point of view, I still want to, I mean, they're mostly using turbo petrol engines now. Um, from the test cars that I had, I could see the fuel consumption is still a bit high but yes, from a, from a touch and feel and starting point of view, I think the cherries are anti balls All the Chinese cars are definitely getting there. And if you look at the pricing compared to some of the Europeans, it's definitely a big saving. But I still want to see reliability, durability. I think we still need to, to see a few years uh, to see if the powertrains can compare to what we get from Europe, from Japan, from, uh, and, and, and so on.
0: All right. Uh, then there's a question that says, "Hi, please ask your guest why I was advised, tech guy at the dealership, when I sent it for service, not to keep my Toyota Avanza be beyond 45,000 kilometres. Is there a specific reason?"
1: Yo, that sounds interesting. That barely run in. Maybe it's because the service plan is then up. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Maybe it was a three year, uh, 15,000 uh, service plan mm. that will get you to 45. But I know no, mostly uh, Toyota is about it's a 10,000 service plan, so it doesn't really make sense. But I can only think it's a sales speech to be able to trade it in for a new one. But at 45,000 kilometers at a Toyota Vanza, that's brand new. So there's no reason why you should sell it on would I would normally say the useful life of a car is probably the modern car now and very much generalizing is about 200,000 kilometers. Um, to get money back for your car, it's maybe best to start looking at replacing it about 100, 120 there in that region. But there's no reason. Some of the modern cars we see still do three hundred, four 400,000 kilometers. Yes. But yeah, things start to go wrong as like uh, we all see with old age with our bodies ourselves we get all the uh, niggles start.
0: I got you. I got you. All right. Let's go to a voice note. Hi, I'm driving a 2016 Ford Figo 1.4 and the car is giving me problems with the uh, brake lights. It, they always burn out. I'm changing them almost every two weeks. I have took it to some Ford outlets. They just can't seem to find what's the problem because now i'm changing the brake lights every now and then thank you Mm, nickel
1: okay so he's he's probably talking about the globes inside the the brake lights at the back um, that that is going so there's no reason why they should should blow um i think what you should do is maybe take it to auto electrician there might be a wiring fault where it's shorting out uh or if it's getting a voltage spike for some uh, for some reason but there's no reason why the the bulb shouldn't last for a very long time so the replacing every two weeks is definitely not the way to go i would take the car to auto electrician just check all the circuits my feeling is there's either a the short circuit or a ground something is not right
0: okay let's uh find out from the next one uh the next voice note
1: hi relevo and team Please ask Nico for me, these modern cars, um, a lot of them have this stop-start technology. And um, what annoys me is that every time the car stops, and let's say I've briefly parked at a drive through or something, so the engine stops, and when that happens, um, the aircon goes off. And there's this smell, Uh, it's a sour smell that that comes out. Please ask, what's causing that and how can I get rid of that? Thank you, Uh, Zipo and PE.
0: Thank you, Zipo.
1: Okay, so obviously the stop-start system there is to try and save fuel. You can override the system and then uh, obviously the engine will keep running and your aircon will keep running. But yes, uh, in older cars, the aircon, when you switch on and off, there might be a smell coming through, remember, Um, There's a lot of air going through a lot of passages and there's some fungi that can maybe start growing there and so on. So there's actually the places that do your uh, aircon, regas, and all that, they're also also ready to uh, put some gas through the system and now through the passages to sort of clear it out from fungi and all of those things that can result in a smell. So you can try that. Overriding the system and letting the engine run will cost you a bit more in fuel, but then you won't have that smell. But see if you can, there's, as I say, there's places that will actually, they've got a way of clearing the passages and uh, preventing that, that bad smell.
0: All right, Kakiso in Ritterport, go ahead.
1: Uh, Nico, I've got a 355 engine uh, for Mercedes-Benz Bull Nose. I think it's 1976 model it smokes a lot the smoke is blue it's non-table and it leaks oil from the oxal system what do you think is wrong with the engine yours a bull now so you're talking about the truck engine it's quite an old yes, engine yeah yes. so when it when it comes to diesel engines obviously you would expect a bit of smoke to to be there just for, because of diesel combustion but if it's getting to a blue tint it might be burning oil so at that stage, maybe, uh, the rings are, are not what it's supposed to be. Your valve stem seals is sort of also what it's not uh, supposed to be. But I mean, to rebuild the engine like that, uh, will cost a lot of money. So what I would suggest is monitor the fuel, uh, sorry, the oil consumption. So check the level of the oil, drive it for a thousand kilometers, then check the oil level again and to see if it's... It's such oil a lot. It's, a, it's Yeah, so then in that sense, it is using oil. You say it's also leaking oil? Yes, from the valve system. From the valve system? From the exhaust. From the airbox? From the exhaust. From the exhaust Uh, pipe. From the exhaust. Yes. Okay, um, it's a turbo diesel, eh? No, that's, it's not a table. It's, it's, no, it's, naturally, it's naturally aspirated, yes. Okay, so that, that, that just uh, confirms that uh, definitely the oil is leaking past uh, the rings and I think there's a lot of leakage going on in the combustion chamber and it actually exits the, exits the exhaust ports as well. So I think that engine has done a lot of mileage and there's probably a lot of wear on that engine. But as I say, to rebuild will cost a lot of money.
0: Mm. Thank you so much, Cajiso in Rudderport. Let's go to Cheryl in four ways. Hi, Cheryl.
1: Hi there. Mm. Um, look, uh, hi. My car is a 2001 Checker 4, and recently I had a rear crankshaft seal cover replaced in around about March, and it's still leaking oil, and every per- uh, garage I take it to says it's coming from the rear crankshaft seal cover, and yet it was replaced with a brand new one. And the company who did it refuses to look at the car again. So I'm at the end of my rope as to what is going on. Hmm. Shame. Um, Yeah, when they're saying it's leaking from a a crankshaft cover, I wonder if they're not meaning the crankshaft seal itself. Because remember, the crankshaft, where it exits the engine block and it needs to drive now your transmission to actually drive the wheels, there's a seal that goes around the crankshaft. And that is actually quite a difficult seal to replace if i remember on that vehicle as well so and just a cover won't help because the the cover is basically a dust cover it's not a cover to to stop oil from leaking it must be a seal that is stopping the oil from leaking so i I think maybe you just need to confirm if it's the seal around the 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 crankshaft and if that seal was changed by the company that's now refusing to touch it um, maybe it's, it's a good idea to, to maybe speak to the, to the head of that company or the service manager or so on. If you don't want to look at it again, maybe the RMI is the way to go or even the ombudsman. Mm. Because if, it, if they did change that seal and it's still leaking, then I have to look at it again, unfortunately. Then it's a job not well done. But as I say, I don't think it's just a cover. Covers are mostly just for dust.
0: Mm. We're going to have to leave it there. Nicolo, thank you so much.